Hawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and featuring Seahawks sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey, Hawks fans, it's the Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alfstead. I'm here with Keith Myers. How you doing, Keith? I am doing great, Bill. Uh, it's a nice, sunny day. One, probably one of the last warm days we're going to get this year. And you know what? Seahawks won. Nice weather outside. Put the two together. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah. Well, you know, it was a tough day uh, yesterday, day before yesterday and yesterday. Uh, with the whole Las Vegas thing, and then one of my uh, jukebox heroes passed away way too early, uh, Tom Petty. So that kind of bummed me out yesterday. And uh, but I'm 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 feeling it today. I'm back. The weather does help. It's beautiful. There's not a cloud in the sky. Perfect temp for October. Um, we 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 won, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Seahawks beat the Colts handily. At Century League Field, forty-six to eighteen on Sunday night. Uh, it was still a tale of two halves for me, just like the basically the the first part of the season. I mean, all four games, we've still not yet played a complete game. Although, when you look at it, you know, from an outsider's perspective, and you look at that score, you would say, "Well, what'd you do wrong?" And not much in the second half. Uh, the Seahawks were all over the Colts in the second half. I think we allowed like 30, 32 yards, total yards for the, the Colts in the second half of that game. Yes, only 32 it was a, it total was a total. It's just a, yeah, a, it was a total beatdown. Yeah, only the offense pretty much did anything they wanted, which was part of it, was they just moved, you know, worked the ball down the field, ate the clock, you know, did what they wanted to do, uh, kept Seattle's defense off the field, got the lead, so then the – all those pass rushers could attack. It just worked really well. So the second half it was, was a fun game. The second half was what this team is supposed to be. The first half was weird. Right? No, you're absolutely right. It's the team that we all thought that we would be getting coming out of that uh, preseason, uh, where the the offense looked like it was going to be in sync. In fact, it was the best unit on the field in the preseason. And then that offensive line looked like it was going to be decent, you know, not bad, decent, like, you know, top 20 uh, possibly. Um, And uh, we saw that on Sunday night. And it kind of gave me some hope because, quite frankly, if we would have come out of that game and stumbled or only won by three points or whatever. I mean, shoot, Keith, we were down 15 to 10 at halftime. So we can talk about that more in depth. It's like, okay, we shouldn't have been down 15 to 10 at halftime against the Colts. We were, but they erased all of that in the second half, and I got to give them props for that. So that's going to be our first segment today. We're going to go all in to the Colts game, and then the second half of the podcast, we're going to turn our attention to the Los Angeles Rams, who we face in Los Angeles on Sunday, which will end up being... Uh, a really good game because Los Angeles uh, is better than advertised, I think. Um, better than they were set out to be uh, in the preseason. They're, they stand at 3-1, and one, and they look good doing it, too. So 
we'll go more into depth on that. But let's get right to reviewing the Colts game on Sunday. Keith, what uh, what were your kind of key takeaways on that game? Well, the first thing was just how many injuries that the Seahawks had and the look at what that's going to do to the team, you know, as the season progresses. Because you lose Jeremy Lane to a significant groin injury. He's going to be out for a while. Uh, Cliff Averill, pro bowler, uh, defensive end with a neck injury and a spinal injury, like his arm. Yeah, stinger. Yeah, where he's got. Quote, unquote. But he, he's got some numbness in his arm and. That, that can actually, that's the type of thing that can linger and be a, a real problem for a while. Uh, Riso Diambo has a bruised sternum. At one point, it was reported that it was a bruised yeah. heart, and I was like, whoa, Ugh. that's scary. And then they're like, no, yeah, no, no, that's no, no. Crazy. It, it's not actually his heart, it's just his sternum, but it caused swelling, and that put pressure on his heart. And so they were just concerned. And so he was just in the hospital for observation, but he's out and. You know, now they're talking like he might even play, which I think would be, I know, which is nuts. Which be incredible. Um, right. Well, it was incredible that he stayed in the game after that hit. I don't know if everybody remembers, but it was kind of on that. Uh, it was on an interception. It was on that interception, and he just got blindsided. I mean, the guy just hit him square in the chest. Boom. Such a collision that. Uh, you know, he stayed down on the ground for a while, couldn't really breathe, and then came back in the next series and played, finished out the rest of the game, hundred percent of the snap. So, yeah, you got to give it to him. I mean, that's that's tough, and that's a you know definitely a will to want to play, especially if you're having breathing problems and so forth. So, so the the only other injury um, of well that I know of is the most significant one, and that would be rookie running back Chris Carson, kind of the. Um, glue of the offense right at the moment is out for the year, or, or at least most of the year. Um, yeah, broke, he had surgery. He had surgery. Um, so we got a lot of different reports. Some say broken uh, ankle. Others say not. The surgery was actually for a sprained ankle because uh, it was a very significant So what is that? Sprain. So that means that there's ligament damage, yes. Keith. That's that's what we're talking about yeah, here. It is. Um and so it's no, it's not the bone, it's it's the soft tissue. And I got to tell you, he'd be better off if he'd broken the bone and had no soft tissue damage than if he has the soft tissue damage and no broken bone. Yeah. So they, you know, in a precautionary matter, especially if Rawls or Lacey emerge uh, going forward, they may go ahead and just shut him down. Uh, but let they'll they'll definitely look at it after eight weeks or Mm -hmm. when it gets close to that point and figure out the best strategy for him. And that could very well shut him, be shut him down for the year. It could, however, surprise us and he might be available uh, towards mid December or so. Yeah. Because what we have is um, we have a situation where he's going to, you know, on, on injured reserve after eight weeks on injured reserve, which is, uh, week 12, he's eligible to be taken off injured reserve to move back to the active roster if he's healthy. Um, and so it's one of those things where the team will do that and then wait. They don't have to make the decision now. This isn't like a couple of years ago where they had to designate yep. a player to return. Yeah. They don't have to do that anymore. Uh, you just put a player on injured reserve and wait. And he can even practice with the team for a couple of weeks. Yes, at the end of it. Uh, right, right. 
you know, just to get back in shape and everything. So basically it's one of those things they'll, they'll, he'll end up on, on injured reserve for at least eight weeks, probably closer to 10, uh, and then have a couple of weeks to get back into the swing of things before the playoffs. But the team has to get eight to 10 weeks without him. He is, this isn't like you, you're going to hold out weight and then have him come back and, and the offense is going to be okay because he returns. They've got to create an offense without him be, over the next 10 weeks or it's not going to matter. So let's talk about the depth that we've got this year, Keith. That's a little different from last year. We have uh, Jeremy Lane going down. Um, you know, we've got a, a suitable player in Coleman that's come in. Had a pick Griffin's six. emerged. Yep. Right. Griffin's emerged. So Coleman comes in. Jeremy Lane goes out. <clears throat> we might not even miss Jeremy Lane. I mean, Jeremy Lane is a good player and so forth, but. Uh, um, we've got some nice depth there. Lane's an, Cliff Averill goes player, down. but he's not irreplaceable. And yeah, yeah as, that's true. As, that's right. As Griffin continues to improve, now Griffin becomes uh, the starter on the outside, and you have Coleman who showed uh, this last Sunday against a set of really good receivers like Moncrief and those guys uh, and Envy that he can play, and he's up to the challenge. So I don't think that's a huge a, a huge drop off to lose Jay in the pro. Um, the problem is now the lack of depth because you have uh, Nico Thorpe also uh, out with uh, his ankle injury. I understand that he's. I understand that he's uh, looking like he might come back this week. See, I thought he was another week, like uh, yeah, another week away. But well, if he can come back and play, that's a, that's a that's a good lift for the team. One because he's a good special teams player, but two, just to have that extra cornerback available in case somebody gets hurt. Uh, in the game this week. And then uh, Avril uh, with the stinger. Uh, that's, that's, it hurts yet. Uh, Avril's probably not uh, having the best year so far this year, as far as being able to set the edge, getting to the quarterback and so forth. He, you know, he, he's a great player and he, his presence is always going to be important. But uh, Marcus Smith, who is uh we got in the off season as a uh, discarded first round pick of the Eagles has really come on and uh, had a sack and a half against the Colts. And he's, uh, he looks like he could get some more time. Yeah, He was the guy who had the uh, strip sack that led to Bobby Wagner's touchdown. Uh, so, I mean, and he's been productive. He's been a guy who's gotten up field and, and gotten pressure on the quarterbacks and has done well. And so he's going to be able to step in and, and play that role. Plus the other thing that you see is, that even before the injury, Frank Clark was out snapping uh, Cliff Averill uh, on a week-to-week basis. So, you know, Frank Clark's not the starter, Averill is, but Clark's still playing more. And I think that... It's like in basketball. It doesn't matter who starts, it's who finishes. Yeah, and so I thought it was it, it was telling that we're starting to see Frank Clark take the starter's number of snaps and Averill's num- uh, snap counts have been uh, reduced significantly. And it's just... I believe it's just an age issue. You know, Avril's getting up there a little bit, and he's slowing down a little bit, and he's a guy whose game is entirely built on speed, and you slow down a little bit, you're going to lose some effectiveness. He's still a good still a good player, still a very good player. But, you know, we, they have uh, Frank Clark to take those snaps, and then you've got Smith to come in and take uh, some, some of the load too. And they uh, also brought back uh, Quentin Jefferson. And yes, they did. And so he is going to, he's back on the roster now. 
to also... He was on the Rams practice squad. Yes, he was. So they had to put him on the active roster. They picked him off. They put him on the active roster. It's a good move for uh, Seattle. Yeah. So it's a it's one of those things where they, they're able to uh, have another pass rusher. He's an interior pass rusher instead of an edge pass, pass rusher. But it is a, it's, it's another body. It's another guy that they can stick in there. It's, and it's interesting, and, Keith, because it's kind of a two-for-play. They get Quentin Jefferson back, but he also spent enough time with the Rams so they can get some a little bit of inside information, which you know teams uh, are known to do uh, a week or two before they they face an opponent. Sometimes you'll see guys roll in that have been on that roster, or they'll try somebody out, see if they can pick out some information. So that's handy. Mm-hmm. Let's turn our attention to uh, the offense and, in particular, a couple of the players that are being replaced because of injury. Now, Reese Adiambo, you said may be able to play Sunday. It hasn't yet been determined, which is shocking to me, uh, given the, the the injury and the fact that he went to the hospital and all that stuff. Um, but if he if he's not able to go, Keith, and quite frankly, the offensive line has looked pretty good. I mean, you take a look at it like a bell curve on offensive line play this year. Each game has gotten just a little bit better. And against the Colts, I think they only gave up three pressures for the entire game. And I'm just pulling that out of the top of my head. Don't you know? Completely quote me on that. And you can correct that if if you can. But um, what do you do with uh, Reese Odiabo's spot there at left tackle, Keith? Uh, well, first of all, I want to correct and say it was six pressures all game. But uh, still, that's really good. I mean, that's that was that's a, a, a vast improvement. Part of that's the Colts' defensive line is pretty poor. Uh, it came off a game where we gave up close to forty pressures. Yeah, right. Not forty, but forty-four percent. You know, 44%. So it was like 25 pressures yeah. and, against the Titans and, now it's, and down, down to, to six right. against the Colts. So uh, it, it is, it's improving. You're, we're seeing, you know, we are seeing this, this incremental and gradual improvement, uh, which is what we needed to see. And on built in on top of that is also a, a, a level of competition effect. So, so we're losing that. And of course, coming up this week, we've got Aaron Donald and that uh, that defensive line, which is one of the best in the NFL coming to town. So it's going to be a that's going to it's going to be going to scare any offensive line. Oh, yeah. I don't care how good you are. Aaron Donald will make you look bad. And uh, so it's 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 going to be it's going to be one of those games. But OK, so you asked specifically about um, Odiambo is the team has not said what the plan is if um, Odiambo can't play. And they they're doing that on purpose. They're they're intentionally being vague and not uh, saying anything. It looks like well. The nice thing this year, Keith, is they do have some options. Last year, their options were you know very limited to Brad Bradley Soul and George Fant. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, really, right, yeah. right. And so this year, you know, there's a little bit more depth. They've got a little bit more options. Mm-hmm. Um, Including a rookie we haven't yet seen yet. Well, he's been on on a few plays post-sick. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting if he could get into the mix a little bit. I don't know that he could be really any worse than Tobin or any of the other guys that could be in the mix. I mean, you've got options as far as ro- being able to rotate Jokel out there if you had to. Glowinski can back in and play left guard. You've got Posick, Tobin. Uh, they've got a couple other guys. Battle, what are your thoughts? Battle is another guy. Um, Battle, right? So uh, honestly, what I what do I think will happen? I think they're going to bring um, Tobin in and have him play, and they'll activate Battle, who's been inactive, and he'll be in Tobin's swing tackle uh, backup role. And I, I think they'll they'll do that because it it makes the least number of adjustments 
Uh, ideally, if you're just trying to get talent on the field, you move Jokel outside and bring either Glowinski or Posick in uh, at guard. But I don't think the team does that because then you're making two spots weaker. and So the continuity is more important. Yeah, I, I think it's just, especially because, I mean, Odiambo hasn't been good. So if you're replacing a player who has not been, who's been the weakest link of a weak line. You know, he had his up. best game of the year against the Colts. Now, granted, the Colts aren't special on their defensive line, yeah, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. he had a pretty decent game. He did. But still, if, you, if this has been a, a weak, the, the team's weakest link and one of the weakest offensive lines in the NFL, and he is the weakest member of that group. And so replacing him with a backup, how f- much is it going to factor? Like how big of a drop-off can you get to go from uh, Odiamba, who is already a backup, because uh, he's fans backup, to Tobin, who was, who was also a backup, and he might have been the starter on day one had he been with the team when Fant got hurt. So I just don't see that being a huge drop off the rest of the line, keep him intact. Hopefully we can continue to see that incremental improvement every week and the, and the line will be okay. Well, they're certainly going to face a test next, next week and we'll get to that. Oh yeah. Um, how about talking about Chris Carson's replacement? Chris Carson, we know for a fact is going to be gone for at least eight, 10 weeks could be out for the season. Uh, Rawls is on the roster. Uh, Eddie Lacy, uh, Procise looks like he's practicing this week and is going to come back. Um, McKissick emerged, uh, a very good game against the Colts. Uh, had a had a decent preseason overall, but I didn't see the flash of speed that he showed against the Colts. I don't know if he was injured a little bit in the in the preseason or whatever, but just turned it up a notch uh, against the Colts, which was a, a great thing to see. Yeah, I mean that guy's got that guy's got some wheels, and apparently, I think he ran a four 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 eight or something like that. Well, yeah, he looked, at the combine, he looked even faster than that on the field on that. I that know he touchdown. did. I mean, he just he got that pitch on the outside and just exploded up the field and was by everyone before anyone blinked. Um, and I mean that was that was just crazy functional speed just to to get around that corner and 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 explode for that thirty yard touchdown. Uh, yeah, part of and that was, uh, and then he had a twenty-seven yard uh, TD reception, mm-hmm. and he well, and he li- so. he lined up as uh, an outside receiver. I mean, he was the outside player on that, and you know because he lined, you know they they he had like two hundred and eighty-five uh, snaps at wide receiver at college in college, mm-hmm. so he's a very experienced receiver. Yeah, and that's the the Seahawks listed him at wide receiver at the beginning of training camp and everything. I mean, he was they he was a they brought him in as a running back last year because they were desperate when uh everyone was hurt and it was pretty much Collins was the only healthy uh running back. So they brought uh McKissick in off of um you know from Atlanta and he was the third down back and just another body and that kind of stuff. But that's what they needed. And then when they got to the offseason, they moved him back to wide receiver because they were like, oh, well, that's his natural position, and that's you know where they, they foresee using him. And then he just sort of worked his way back into the running back mix, which I think is, is interesting. So this is a team that is really, really deep at running back. I mean, Carson's the best of the group, and he's now hurt. But you know you still have Thomas Rawls, which read the, led the entire NFL in yards per carry as a rookie. That's been... 
a couple of years since he's played at that level, and we'll see if he can get back there, but he still has that talent. Eddie Lacy was once a very, very productive running back in Green Bay, and you know he actually led the Seahawks in rushing uh, on Sunday. Which yeah, you know, eleven carries, fifty-two yards, 50, and he looked good doing it. Yeah, I mean, he he looked pretty bad early on the first couple series when he was out there, but once Carson got hurt and Lacey came in, and you know the game flow had kind of already been established, he was very effective. He had was just running downhill, running people over, very Eddie Lacey like. So that was good to see. Um, you know, Seahawks finished the game with one hundred ninety-four yards rushing yeah so it was a great team effort it looked like we could have lined up anybody in the backfield quite honestly yep. and probably would have had some success against the colts uh you know in the first half the colts looked like they were awesome and of course we looked we were starting slow but uh, the second half i mean 36 points after halftime second most in franchise history and the 46 total points is the most uh, since we beat buffalo back in 2012 uh, 50 to 17 Keith. Yeah. So we, we finished with 477 total yards. We've allowed just uh, 237 yards. 32 of those yards came in the second half. That's crazy. That's an incredible defensive performance. Um, one of the things you're, you're talking about all these stats, you know, Russell Wilson had two interceptions in this game, which were his first two interceptions of the season. And honestly, I wouldn't, credit Wilson with either one of them. I'd give them both to, yeah. I'd give them both to Jimmy Graham, which is, I mean, what, the, the second one literally hit J, uh, Graham in both hands and he didn't catch it. He bobbled it, popped it up in the air and, and the safety grabbed it. Uh, How would you define Jimmy's season so far, Keith? It's when you look at his stats, his stats are, they're not bad. Uh, they're not bad. They're average for a tight end. No touchdowns, though. No attempts in the red zone for Jimmy Graham. I mean, he had a couple, but they've been completely lame passes. They just haven't, they don't have any chemistry together. I don't know how else to say it. Well, part of it is that when, if you look at what happens, there's a lot of bracket coverage or even triple coverage on him when they get down into the red zone. Opposing teams are taking him away. Uh, and they're, they're showing Russell Wilson that they're going to do that pre-snap. So he's not even really looking in Graham's way because he knows the guy's at least double covered every time. And so that's why you're seeing him throw uh, elsewhere, whether it be Luke Wilson or Paul Richardson or, you know, all the different guys that are getting receiving touchdowns this year, which there's quite a few of them. Uh, yeah. So teams are, are taking Graham away in the red zone and basically telling Russell Wilson, you got to throw it to one of your short guys. And Wilson's like, okay. And he's, you know, throwing, throwing touchdowns to everybody else. So I'm, I'm not that concerned about the production numbers from Jimmy Graham. What I'm more concerned about is since when has he been so bad at catching the ball? I mean, every game he seems to have at least one big drop. And this one he had. He, well, and it's not like they're not throwing to him. I mean, he's getting uh, six to eight. Um Targets. Uh, attempts, yeah. targets every every game. Yeah. So I mean, he should be completely into it. Mm -hmm. He looks he looks a little disinterested. I mean, I I heard, read that on Twitter. I heard that from a couple other people. Uh, it's just a body language thing. I'm not trying to read uh, Graham's facial expressions or whatever. I'm not going to put too much into that kind of crap. But it my eye test tells me that there might be a little bit of a disinterest there. I don't know. I don't know if it's disinterest. I, I think that is, I think there's a reading more into it than what's there. 
Um, although, you know, if you look at like Twitter, they're, they're more than happy to, uh, to say that about him, but I just, I don't buy in it. I, I just think that he's frustrated that the first couple of games were hard. They were, they were rough games for the offense in general. He's being asked to block a lot more than he wants to. And he's not getting as many opportunities, getting a lot of like short passes and then getting drilled type of situation. I I think there's, there's a little, little bit of a mental game going on and that he's frustrated. I know it's starting to show up with the drops. Uh, and that's, you know, that second one where it hit him in the hands and then went right to the other team. Now, if you look just after that, then, you know, the next possession, he had a really big um, reception kind of in the same spot of the field for a big gain. And it seemed to like kind of lift him back up and, and, you know, the team kind of took off from there. So it was good to see even after such a, such a, a bad drop in a uh, game changing play that he was right back in it, right back involved and, and playing well. So. So the other thing on offense, the, the biggest thing I think um, is the play of Russell Wilson in the first half. Again, he looked okay. And the, the offense just didn't look in sync. Mm-hmm. Um, the second half, he just exploded. Yeah. You know, and that run, that 23-yard touchdown run, I think was the defining moment so far for him in that he showed that extra effort at the goal line to get in, which was amazing to me. In fact, it really pissed me off that <laughs> the Seahawks had to challenge that play. I mean, come on. So that's not, here's the that's, deal. Here's that's the not deal why with I challenges. thought you were going to say it was going to piss you off. That's why I started laughing when you said that. I thought you were, were going to say it, it, it pissed you off because you're like – you're our twenty million dollar quarterback. Stop! Oh, I know. Don't, you don't God. need to take that hit. <laughs> That's true, right? But nonetheless, I was I was happy that he showed that extra mojo to to want that touchdown rather than being stopped at the two yard line, and that showed the team that he cared. He showed some emotion after that. Uh, I was frustrated that the Seahawks had to use a challenge up. Uh, that left them no challenges left in the game it's on a clearly obvious play. I mean, that, and you looked at the replay, the referee's looking right down the, the goal line there, should have seen that. Um, if they call it a touchdown, it's looked at anyway by the league. They review all scoring plays. So that's the call that should have been made. Um, nonetheless, that was a great play. That was a great play. And one of the things that was interesting is after the game uh, – there were two different players, one on offense and one on defense. That and I don't, I, I should have had who that said that, but I don't. Uh, written down here, that came out and said that that was the play that and it just energized everybody, and everyone was yeah, it was Doug was Baldwin up and down and screaming and you know excited and and everything took off from there. Is it really came down to that play? Just really yeah, I think it was Doug Baldwin and then Bobby Wagner came out and said those things. Yeah, yeah. So, I thought that was. Uh, I thought, you know, it's just a, a huge moment for the team and for him. And it was just kind of that jumping off point for the rest of the team. Well, where do you see the the, the offense for the rest of the year? I mean, are we going to continue to see the schizophrenic kind of style of play where it it's fits and starts uh, in the first half and the second half? We seem to kind of work things out and we get it going. Maybe against a tougher defensive team, we struggle the entire game. I don't know. I mean... I, at this point, Keith, four games in, I honestly don't know what kind of offense we're going to have show up for the next game. 
well, I think the offense that we're going to see for the next game is the one that we've seen for the last 20. So you, you go, even going back all through last season because... So talk to me. Well, it's just... It, this is the type of thing that happens when you've got a mediocre at best, you know, on their best day is offensive line. There's just... You don't get that consistency. You don't get that efficiency that, that you have come to expect. You're relying on Wilson to work magic in order to get the offense moving. You're uh, relying on the running backs to make people miss in the backfield just to get back to the line of scrimmage. And yet you still need, you're still trying to establish a running game. And there are, you know, when you get a block here or a big play there, you can get these things to kind of to to line up and steamroll a bit and find a rhythm and, and, and you have a good offense, but then you're going to run into in another game, maybe against even a weaker opponent, you don't get that bounce. You don't get, you know, that one extra uh, yard or, you know, a quarter or a running back slips the one time he does have a hole and, you know, things stall and you just, you never quite find that rhythm. And yeah. that's what they need is this, and this isn't like a rhythm passing game, like, you know, Mike Holmgren and Matt Hasselbeck style, but you still, as an offense, you need that even though offensive linemen, you need that rhythm. You need that, you know. Yeah, that consistency. You can't have negative plays. Yeah, and they, they just aren't. And so you look at, at one point, Wilson was, was it a seven, seven for eight for uh, 78 yards. So, and the one incompletion was at the interception that uh, he, what do we always say? We always say, just throw it up to Jimmy Graham, let him go up and get it. Wilson did that. And yeah. the. Uh, the defender went up and got it, and and got. Yeah, that's right, Keith. And, and, and got the interception. I have to say that it was slightly underthrown. I mean, uh, by it was. like a foot. No, yeah, by a foot. It Not, was. I mean, the margin of error there was really tough because uh, Jimmy Graham was behind his uh, corner mm-hmm. and or safety, and uh, the safety all he had to do was jump and, and get in front of, put his body in front of Jimmy and. And then Jimmy didn't really try to, I think he was surprised a little bit that the ball was so far in front and he just, he didn't jump, but his timing was off and he just couldn't even get his hands up to disrupt that pass coming in, Yeah, play a defend defense for a moment. And um, so that was a little disappointing for me. I thought Jimmy could probably done a little bit better on defending that throw as it turns out. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's the part where I'm thinking, I'm saying that he might be a little disinterested. I mean, it's it's plays like that to me that show a certain spirit of a player. And when you don't see it, uh, you know, to me that that's just not going the extra 2% to make yourself into the best player on the field. But that, you know, that's just me. Um, otherwise, though... Uh, not taking anything away from Russell Wilson. He finished 21 of 26, 295 yards, two TDs. You're right. The two interceptions were questionable as far as him being at fault. Uh, and he also ran for the touchdown. He finished with a, a 107.5 QB rating, which is, uh, you know, it's about uh, 10 points above his his uh, overall career average. So he had a great game. Yeah, he did. He did. And like I said, I, I threw that number the, that he started seven for eight. And yet the team was losing, partly because of the Jimmy Graham not going up for that ball, and so it was intercepted. But also because mixed into there were two plays where he threw a pass after he had hit the ground, so they didn't count. 
Um, One was a sack that we thought was a huge reception and a first down on, you know, on a third and long by Luke Wilson. And the other one ended up giving the uh, the Colts two points because it was in the end zone. It was. Yeah. Oh, that was a horrible play. Yeah, it was. it, It absolutely was. But you look at, you know, those and then you have other plays like there was a, uh, third and 13 and he completed a, a 15 yard pass to Lockett that was called back. Um, or maybe it wasn't, I did that backwards. It, it, it was third and three and he completed a five yard pass to Lockett that was called back and it became, um, third and 13 and he completed an eight yard pass to Lockett that, you know, and Lockett was tackled before he could get to the first down yard. So it, it killed a drive. He like Wilson got the first down but of course you have Effetti getting called for the hold and backing him up and he completed another pass. It just wasn't enough yeah. to get him uh the first down. So it's just It's prom it's promising though, I think. Taking away all the positives uh from the game, there's a lot to like about what I saw. Now granted it's against the Colts and it you always have to kinda of weigh those things. It's at home, it's prime time. Uh, we, you know, once we got on that roll, I think the Colts laid down a little bit. So, but nonetheless, a lot to take away from, uh, and I want to give the defense it's due as well. We scored two turnover touchdowns. Um, it's been a while. That was nice to see. I really like that. It was good to see them just collect turnovers. How long has it been since this is a, this was a team that was good at forcing turnovers. They're, the defense is supposed to kind of be built around that. That's why they focus on speed and pass rushers and they want yeah. to force turnovers and, you know, get the offense, the ball back and, and that kind of stuff. And they just who haven't caused, done it. Re, remind me, Keith, who caused that uh, Bobby Wagner um, recovery? Uh, Do you remember? It was Smith. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, just yeah. right there. Um, yeah, he the batted. He, and... he caught. He caught the arm as he was. His, his arm was starting to just just right before his arm went forward. He caught the, that ball and yep. caused that thing to come. Knocked out. the ball out, and the ball just flopped up there. And uh, Bobby Wagner picked it up and uh, made a couple guys miss, and you know took it all the way back. That was that was fun. Uh, the Justin Coleman one was was fun too because that was. No, they jumped that route. It was not a bad route, not a bad throw. Just really good anticipation. Just really good, yeah. smart play, recognizing what was happening and just jumping right in front of the the receiver to grab that ball. And then once he had it, there was it was green turf in front of him. There was no one that's going to stop him. It was that's fun. Yeah, that's T. That's Seahawk football right there. I mean, that's the 2012 2013 teams that we have really wanted to come to expect. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of tailed off last year a little bit. We saw okay defensive play last year, but not a lot of turnovers generated. They were hoping this year that turnovers would be more part of the identity of that defense. And so that's a good sign. I mean, just to have that against a team that you're supposed to beat, that you just go in and beat them. Yes. And you beat them really well. And they did that. So hats off to the team. Anything else you want to talk about as far as that victory before we move on to the upcoming game Keith I just think that after all of the uh struggles that the defense has had stopping the run uh the previous two weeks and then you have Frank Gore which I know he's like 103 years old but he is still one of the best um 
running backs in the NFL. And, you know, they, it's not like they stopped him for nothing, but they really just contained the run and, and really made that work for him. It was great to see the defense, like, basically step up to the challenge. Like, hey, you've been beat pretty badly two weeks in a row. And then you're like, okay, I mean, it stepped up to the challenge. And, and yeah. And like I said, they held the, uh, the Colts. Uh, it was a, it was a poor first half performance by the defense. I mean, they, they gave up 200 yards to the Colts essentially. And, uh, but, but they weren't uh, credited with all those points, 15 points. I don't know. It, it, you know what I mean? But the, the second half performance was absolutely outstanding. I mean, uh, in a half, we gave up 32 yards. Mm-hmm. That included like 11 yards or 17 yards passing or something like that. I mean, it was nuts. Well, and this is how on a team that needed to come back after we put put it on on the third quarter, Keith. That team needed to come back, and they were going to start throwing the ball. We gave up like 17 yards. Well, that's crazy. But that's what that's what the Seahawks defense is built for. They're not really built for the slugfest. That's true, Keith. Um, you know, pounded out. This is a team that's built around getting after the quarterback. I mean, you got, like, Sheldon Richardson is a good run-stopping defensive tackle, not because he does the things that are traditional run-stopping defensive tackles, but because he's disruptive. He just gets in the lanes and, and makes, just creates havoc. But that's not what you usually think of as far as a run-stopper. He's a pass rusher. He's just a pass rusher who's so good at pass rushing, he screws up the other team's running game. Uh, and you got all these other pass rushers. This is a team that's built around getting after the quarterback, creating pressure. But to do that, they want to have a lead. I mean, they need to. Yes. They need some. They need some efficiency by the offense. They need to. You, they don't have to run up the score like they did against the Colts in the second half. They just need enough points that you're forcing the other team to feel like they have to throw. Yeah. And I almost feel like. If the Seahawks score 17 points, we're going to be in every single game. Yes. That's not asking a lot of your offense. Nope. Most offenses in the NFL these days are averaging close to 22, 23 points. Um, so to have an offense where all you need out of them is 17 to 20 points, I mean, that should be doable week in, week out for the Seahawks. And they've got the talent to do it. They do it as long as the offensive line does their job. It always comes back to that. It comes back to that because they, that is the weak link of this of this entire roster is, is those guys. And I like what I saw on Sunday. I thought there was definite improvement. You still had some issues with penalties and... A Fetty's inability to handle a speed rush, and you know, there, there's still some things. It's not perfect, but it doesn't have to be perfect. They don't have to be the best offensive line in the NFL. They need to be average, or even slightly below average. And, so and can a, let's let's well let's transition. Let's talk about the offensive line against the Los Angeles Rams in Los <laughs> Angeles. And you said they don't even have to be average. To, to do well. Can we be less than average and do okay against the Los Angeles Rams? And and I'll pref, preface this with saying one of these days, and like I said in our, our notes, one of these days Seattle's going to have to beat an opponent, a good opponent, a great opponent on the road. And this year the Rams are 3-1. and one. They look like they could definitely be like a 9-7 and seven team. I'm not going to give them a you know, 10, 11, 12 win season, right? 
but they look like they have the components. They have the talent on defense, and their offense is surprisingly good to be a nine and seven, ten and seven team. They could or ten and six. They could uh, be the team in the NFC West this year that challenges the Seahawks for that. Well, they they, uh, they are West the title. Team. They are the team that, that's going to be the biggest challenge um, to Seattle. But a uh, couple things to think about. One is they have the number one rate rated offense in the NFL uh, at the moment, which you think about, these are the Rams, right? This is the same. Well, they've played the, they played the Washington Redskins and the Colts. Yeah. I mean, they, they've played some, they've played, so. some, they've played some bad teams. So I, you know, we'll, we'll throw that up, but they are the defensively though. I think they're rated 31st. The only defense, which is worse than, um, is, is new England. Uh, and I mean, and New England's giving up like sixty yards a game more than the Rams, so there's a big gap there. But that's that's actually really surprising. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, we've always known, at least for the last five or six years, that the Rams are known for their defense. That's what gives the Seahawks fits. Yep, is the Rams defense. So what can we expect uh, in on Sunday? Well, what you're going to see is that the Rams are going to. <sighs> Their defensive line is going to dominate Seattle's offensive line. It's just the way it works. But the Rams aren't really good. They're not great at linebacker, and their back uh, four aren't. They're, they're you know they're nothing that you're that's going to scare anyone. And so it's all about can you can the team get find a way to scheme around that defensive line. And I think they yeah. there are some things that they can and- do. To, to and we always so. talk, we talk about Aaron Donald and we talk about Robert Quinn. Mm-hmm. Who, who, is there anybody else that we need to pay attention to? I mean, well, everybody, but uh, those are the two, those are the two stars. Those are the guys that everyone keys off of. They're the guys that you see get double teams. And so really it's everything else they do, everything that they do defensively keys on those two guys. They make everybody else better. They make everything else, everything they do on defense work. Now, one of the things to think about here is we have a new coaching staff. And the Jeff Fisher coaching staff was not a great one, and that's part that's, of the reason. That's right. Part of the reason right. why they they did poorly. But Jeff Fisher was really good at putting together uh, schemes that created a lot of difficulty for offensive lines. Not just the. I'm not going to miss him at all. No. Nope. For whatever reason, Jeff Fisher was a horrible coach as a league uh, wide coach. But for whatever reason, he had the Seahawks number. Yeah. And he was a prankster, too. That little ass would always <laughs> throw in those little wrinkles on special teams that used to. I mean, we lost a game on special teams one year yep. uh, or or possibly two years uh, against the Rams because of their their kicking game, which aggravates me to no end. Yep. And and I understand, too, that. uh that um, their new coach McVeigh uh, ran like a, uh, a fake punt the other day or something like that. So they're still at it. So I don't like them. <laughs> so I don't like them at all. You realize that you realize <laughs> that McVeigh is thirty one. That's nuts. D- does that make you feel old? Because to- I read it totally that he was born. Now, listeners, listen to this. I read that he was born in nineteen eighty six. Think about that. What? I mean, that's young. I mean, 31 is young. I mean, think, okay, here's the deal with, with a guy like McVeigh. Think about how good 
this guy needs to be at his job to get a head coaching position in the NFL. One of 32 guys in the NFL. He's the youngest in the history of the NFL as to be a head coach. Think about how good he needs to be uh, in order to even be considered for that position. He was, uh, uh, prior to uh, getting hired, he was the uh, Redskins offensive coordinator the prior three years. He's got some John Gruden pedigree in him. Uh, Shanahan pedigree in him. Mike Shanahan. Not Kyle, Mike. Um, he's he looks he coaches that team very well. I'll just put it that way. He he looks like he's a very good coach. I agree. One of the things that we need to maybe dial back a little bit is this is a new coaching staff, a new scheme with this set of players and this group of talent, and they're well, and with a fairly new quarterback. Yes, Jared Goff, and, and so there isn't tape. Uh, there isn't a lot of tape on what they do, what their tendencies are. The the league as a whole is trying to figure that out as they go. And when what do you think happened in Dallas? They lost to Dallas on a comeback game, thirty five to thirty in Dallas. When everyone's saying, "Well, Dallas and Green Bay and Seattle are going to be the teams at the end in the NFC." Well, let me finish this other point, and then we'll come back to that one. I was just going to say that as once once they have all this tape on what's happening with them, teams are going to start to figure out what they're going to do, and you're going to see their, how much success they have come back down to earth a little bit. And that's just it's that what happens whenever you have a new team, new coach, new system, and they get off to a hot start, is once there's tape, then things kind of come back down to earth, especially with all the young players that they've got, because they're not going to be as scheme-diverse as, as maybe a veteran team would be. Now, as well, for what happens, Seattle... Go ahead. Okay, as for what happened in Dallas, well, you know, you've got... It was one of those games where, I mean, Dallas's defensive talent just isn't... That's true. It just isn't, you know... I mean, obviously, DeMarcus it's, Lawrence it's middling. is good, but the rest of the defense, right. I'm just not... I don't really like. And so there's, there's just some issues there, and there's enough... Um, the Rams have offensive talent. They've always had offensive talent. I mean, Tavon Austin isn't—he's way overpaid, and he isn't. That They've just never put receiver, it together. But he's a really fast gadget player, and if you use him right, he can be a weapon. And the team is using him right this year. They never used him right when it was a Jeff Fisher team, and so you've got you know those kind of things. And then you know, Todd Gurley is a incredibly talented running back. That's there's no reason for people to be like, oh, well, he's not good because his stats last year were bad. The team was bad that he was on. Of course, his stats weren't that great, but he's really talented. So I, I think that that team is strong and, you know, offensively and far, far as their talent. The other thing that they did was they put together an offensive line. They did what the Seahawks wouldn't do. They went and paid yes. to bring in veteran. Yes, their left tackle is is is. Yeah, Andrew Whitworth. Yeah, yes, um, he's thirty-one years old, and everyone writes him off as being 36. over the hill. Is he really? Yeah. Oh my god. So it was, Maybe I was thinking of his of his weight, three hundred and sixty pounds or whatever he is. <laughs> yeah. So you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so, he's like three hundred and twenty-five pounds. He's huge. Six foot seven. Yep. He's a mo- he's a mountain. But he is is what he is. But he is he was very good last year. There's no reason to think that he was suddenly going to fall off the face of the earth. You could you didn't have to spend 
you know, four years and a ton of guaranteed money to get him. But he was too old for Seattle. And yeah. that's right. Too, that's right. Too, too old to learn Tom Cable's system. So they well, they run a power. They run a power blocking yeah. uh, scheme mm-hmm. in at the at the Los Angeles Rams, and they've got Todd Gurley, who everyone kind of wrote off last year because he had a bad sophomore season. Um, he had a great rookie season, and or was it last year's rookie season? No, I can't last remember. year was a sophomore I'm, year. I'm, I'm screwing it up. Okay, so last year was a sophomore year. He had a down season, under a thousand yards. Um, but at one time, I think uh, John Schneider declared that Todd Gurley was rated their top player overall in the draft the year he was he came out. Um, so the, and this is a guy that can can run. Now Seattle, now everything that Seattle does in this game is going to be predicated on stopping the run. It's the it's the proven formula of the Seattle Seahawks defense. I don't think that you can probably change that mantra. For any team that we're going to talk about, Seattle's going to go ahead and go out, and they're going to stop the run to see if they can make every team they face one-dimensional. Yeah, and once you make and they're going to do the same thing. Turn all the pass rushers loose. You tell that's right, and and you do that against Jared Goff, and that's the difference uh, for the Rams. They've not faced a team like Seattle before. No, they really haven't. They faced some bad defenses. Dallas is a bad defense. They Uh, they beat the Colts. Yeah, they beat the Colts forty-six to nine. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. I mean, did that score? I mean, it's crazy, but it's almost the same thing. If we wouldn't have thrown that, if we wouldn't have given the Colts any points, that would have been the Colts score, 46 to 9. Yep. So, I mean, but nonetheless, they're they're doing it. I mean, they're taking care of business is what I'm trying to say with the Rams. They seem to be taking care of business, but they haven't faced the second half Seattle Seahawks team. I think in the first half, it's going to be a close game. I think it's the second half. It it really could swing on a few different plays. I hope those few plays are on Seattle's uh, that benefit Seattle because this game could go either way. In my mind, uh, it's in Los Angeles. We have we seem to struggle, but that was a different regime. Fisher's no longer there. It's a new ball game, a new regime, a new everything. So Seattle can't go in and assume that everything's going to be the same as it has been the last six years. Um, and they won't. I mean, the, the, the coaching staff is smart. They'll, you know, they've I, they've watched the film. They put together a game plan. They fi- they're figuring out ways to attack. Uh, what do you Goff expect, and Keith? Offense. And I think they'll it'll be fine. It's just a matter of we we haven't seen what they're going to do, and we we've seen what other teams have tried to do that hasn't worked, but we haven't seen a lot that has worked against this the um this offense and and i think seattle i mean seattle's coaching staff will figure out different ways to attack it and if it if things work and they shut them down well that's going to be the blueprint other teams are going to use all year yeah well i think this is one of those teams and one of those games where seattle literally says i don't care who's lined up against us this week we're going to go do our thing we're going to do our thing on defense. We're going to try to do our thing on offense, and we're going to make them try to stop us. Um, and that's, I think that's what it comes down to with the Rams, is I don't think that they really care what the Rams are doing. I think they want to try to dictate terms in this game. See, defensively, I, I hope that Seattle does that. Offensively, I hope they do some things to help our offensive line and Russell Wilson out. Because if you just ask Russell Wilson to, you know, take a take a 
take a, a five or seven step drop and you know stand and wait stand four there. seconds for his guys to get 25 yards downfield yeah Aaron, Aaron Donald's gonna kill him yeah and right. <laughs> so we don't we don't want to see that so we need we need to be able to use their aggressiveness against us mm-hmm. to our advantage yep run some more uh you know design quarterback runs run some more option uh Go with some different, you know, different approaches where you have uh, some things that will, yeah, will use that that um, that aggressiveness against against them. Some, you know, delayed uh, draw plays, some screen passes, just anything that will allow the team to find some success and some rhythm without asking, you know, Abushi to line up against. Uh, Aaron Donald and block him one on one because if you're asking or, or Brett or, even yeah, yeah. Or, well or Brett or uh, Jokel if you're asking any of those guys can okay, let me rephrase that if you're asking any interior lineman in the NFL <laughs> to block yes. Aaron Donald one on one consistently all game you're setting, for four seconds you're setting that player up to fail because Aaron Donald's gonna just beat him I mean he is in my mind the best defensive tackle in the NFL. So let me ask you this, Keith. So let me ask you this. So Seattle's been hot and cold this year so far on offense, even on defense, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. on offense though, I'm talking about offense. Can we afford to be cold in the first half against the Rams on the road against the number one offense against our defense? Yeah. I mean, they can, The, the defense is, good enough to make up for it. The offense is good enough to play from behind and, and, you know, and come back and, and get, get the win that way. Is it ideal? Winning on the, winning in the NFL on the road is really hard. It is. Like I, said, I, I don't care which team it is. So I, I think they can afford to do that, but at the same time, can we just not play cold all first half again, especially on offense? Can, can the team just not do that? I, I would just be really happy to see them come out and actually play four quarters of good football for the first well, time. Well, it's nice to see uh, against uh, the Titans, uh, who we lost to, and then again uh, against the Colts. Our offense really did some good things. You know, it really did some good things. We had a, a running game. We established a quick passing game. Uh, Russell Wilson, they moved the pocket for Russell Wilson a little bit and get got him outside. We saw some uh, run plays designed run plays for Russell Wilson. Um, you're right though. The key difference would be to, to not have any cold play at all to come out first drive, second drive and go down and score, you know, a 60, 70 yard drive would be great. Um, also efficiency in the red zone, Keith, let's talk about that a little bit. That still concerns me, um, a little bit now against the Colts in the second half, we were great. But I'm still worried a little bit about um, kicking too many field goals when we get down to the red zone. Well, and I, this has been an issue since Russell Wilson was drafted. And it will be a, an issue for as long as Russell Wilson is quarterback in Seattle. Uh, now, why do you say that? Or why are you pinning this entire thing on him and not some sort of bevel scheme? Because it has... Like like all of Twitter is, is doing. Be, okay, so... Russell Wilson's height doesn't affect his ability to play the game until spaces until the space becomes really tight. Um, 
and the windows become the passing windows become super tiny and he can't take that that quarter second to sidestep uh, a half a yard to change the passing lane and create a window to get the ball in because if when you do that in the red zone when there's so much so little space before, between, between the line of scrimmage and the back of the end zone yeah um you all those all the zones are really small so you, your your receiver goes from uncovered to covered because they run they're running yes. towards the safety and he doesn't have that extra quarter second to move to create that yeah. that passing window yeah what was uncovered becomes covered in a matter of a split second yes. literally and it is it it doesn't that when you're out in the middle of the field he can do those kind of things because the safeties have to be back further and and you know they the teams will the way they defend the space is different. And so he can move around a little bit in the pocket and he can find those throwing lanes. Um, he can't do that in how, the, um, in the red zone. Cause there just isn't that. How space. do you think, how do you think we've been doing so far given that fact oh, over four games, especially the last two? I mean, it's been okay. I, I, when the Seahawks were good, a good red zone team, it was because they had Marshawn Lynch, and they could and they and they had enough run blocking that they could hand it off and let him go fight for, you know, those three four yards and get into the end zone. And when they did that, they didn't have to hand it off anymore because they the other team had was forced to defend that, you know, just go all in to try and stop that, and it allowed well Wilson think to about no, out I, and throw it you know, outside and now they can't do that. They can't run the ball. I agree with that half. I'll give you 50 points because I don't, it seems, it seems a lot lately last year and this year, we've just been playing from behind when we play from behind by, from that inconsistency in, in the, in the run game specifically. Yes. But in the run blocking is more specifically in the in run blocking, it seems like we have not yet been able to build leads, especially in the first half Um, in games in order to be able to apply that strategy that you just mentioned. So I'm not exactly sure. So the Marshawn Lynch thing, absolutely. It's a factor. No question. One of the best running backs to, to, to see the league in the last 10 years. No question. Okay. Uh, but um, I'm seeing signs, though, that we could be a good running team. I'm, they're, they're, they're intermittent, though. Um, and we just lost Chris Carson, so now everything's kind of all screwed up. But with Chris Carson, I was seeing signs that we could be a good running team and we could – we could run the ball, especially with a lead in the second half, to pound teams into submission. So I'm not sure that your answer was completely 100% correct. I think it's partially correct. Well, if you look at just, you're, we're looking specifically in the red zone. Um, when the Seahawks get down, let's say they're on the five yard line, what are the opposing linebackers doing? Are they crashing the line of scrimmage to stop the run? Or are they taking a step back and a step out? You're right. To, to cover, Absolutely. To cover passing zones. So they're, so they're far, you're correct. You're right, Keith. So far, that is absolutely a correct assessment. See, when, I, I totally hand that to you. Absolutely. So in, in 2013 and 2014, they were right up next to the line of scrimmage, filling a gap. They were right there because they did not 
want. Well, in 2012, 2013, Russell Wilson wasn't yet known as Russell Wilson. Yeah. He's now established himself as the having the ability to convert those things in a passing game. Mm-hmm. So they're they're giving a little bit there. But, but you're right. Who's if, going to respect a run game with our offensive line and our running backs, which are kind of a turnstile type system right now, yeah. especially with Carson now out? What can what are our teams going to defend? Well, and they're gonna they're defending Wilson and they're defending the pass. But the thing is, with, I the, would. Line, with the linebackers dropping out and not attacking the line of scrimmage, when you're on the three, four, five yard line. You should be able to run the ball, but when and when the Seahawks hand yes. it off in those situations, it goes for a loss or one yard. They can't even yeah. with the linebackers bailing out to play his pass. They still can't run the football, and that's why, that's why the Seahawks are struggling in the red zone. So, what do you think we're going to do against the Rams, Keith? Use your magic eight ball, and and uh, are we? Let me. Here's the magic eight ball question. Are the Seahawks going to win? Let me shake it. Uh, try again later. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so let me ask you this. So, more specifically, eight ball. Are if the Seahawks score twenty points, will the Seahawks win? I think so. Uh, and that's actually kind of where I expect the game to to, to end up is something like the Seahawks winning a, a game like twenty three seventeen. I think would be a, a pretty. I could easily see him losing by the same score. Yeah, especially not easy, not easily, especially. not easily, but because our defense is, I want our to say our defense is stout enough to prevent teams from scoring that much. But um, you know, once you get behind, things start to roll. It could it could get ugly, but uh, especially on the road. But against the Rams um, and watching that team do what they did to the Colts and the and the Skins and then the Cowboys. I'm not sure how much weight you can put on those. Not I mean, maybe the Cowboys is their best win of the season, no doubt, right? Mm-hmm. But um, with with the other things, I'm not sure that the the Rams score on us like that. I think, and and touchdowns, I'm not sure that they score touchdowns or drive the ball into our red zone more than once or twice. Yeah, I mean, the, I don't think the Rams are as good on offense as they look statistically because you have to take into account who they played, and I don't think they played. They don't, you know, they haven't played. A, they haven't played a good defense yet. So, uh, I think. Are we a is, good defense, Keith? I'm asking a legit question. Are we a good defense? I think so. I think that you have some. The te- the the defense has some issues. Um, Stopping I mean, our our stellar defensive performance of the year came against the Colts at home Sunday night, well, and we still gave up 200 yards in the first half. True, and then, or you could use the 49ers at home in week two as as another one where they only gave up 99 yards passing in the entire. I know, game. but we're talking about the Colts and the Niners. I mean, so I'm I'm asking you, legit, like given the fact that we're going to now face what is statistically right now in the NFL the number one offense in the NFL. Are we a good defense? We're going to find out on Sunday, but I'm right now. I am still prepared to say yes. I still think they are. I think that um, this was a team that is starting to show a little age with its core players: um, Cam Chancellor, Cliff Averill, 
uh, specifically, and then a little bit from, you know, KJ and some of the other guys. And I think that what you're seeing is the, the Seahawks go, okay, let's get Frank Clark more snaps. Let's get um, Marcus Smith more snaps. Let's get, um, you know, let's, let's help the safeties out a little bit by not asking them to move quite so far to get to their zone. And, you know, they're not, I can't chance they're still asking uh, Earl Thomas to do everything and he's been great at it, but they're, the team is adjusting schematically to the fact that a couple of their stars aren't quite as spry as they used to be. Yeah, Richard Sherman still looks good too. Oh yeah, he does. Thomas Thomas looks good. Chancellor's had a great year so far. Bobby Wagner's had a great year. KJ Wright, I don't know. KJ Wright. Uh, had KJ a Wright's really... been out of place a couple couple different times this year. That's cost us. He really struggled against uh, Tennessee. Cam Chancellor really struggled against Tennessee. Yeah, Avril has struggled so far this year. Yes, he has. Um, and out now, but nonetheless. Struggle. Yeah. And then Will Hoyt has been kind of a disappointment at the Sam linebacker spot. Uh, well, Garvin Garvin was back this week, he, Keith, but Garvin only took uh, like 15 snaps to Will Hoyt's 35. Yeah. And so it's, it's a timeshare going on there. And so far, I mean, Garvin was the starter week one when Will Hoyt was out, and Will Hoyt was the starter week two when Garvin was out. Uh, and, you know, now Garvin's getting healthy, and so they're – we're kind of getting a timeshare there, but I think Garvin's the better player and the team's just got to, you know, figure that out and get that worked out. But there's a reason why they're playing Will Hoyt. And while I can't figure that part out yet, uh, I'm going to defer to the coaches on this because they seem to be pretty good at figuring this kind of stuff out on defense. So, but there, there are some, it's not a perfect defense, but Michael Bennett is still really good. And so is, it's still a pro bowl defense. Yeah. So if our offense is, is second half Colts, if our if our offense is second half Colts, and our defense is what it is, that's a that's a go go the distance type of a team. Yeah. And but can they sustain that? And can they sustain that against a decent team on the road in October? Now the game we're getting into now the second quarter of the NFL season, and. This team needs to start showing itself. Mm-hmm. And we need to, like I said uh, prior, um, can this team beat a good quality team on the road in week five? Yeah. They've they've played two good teams and lost. They've played two bad teams and won. Now they're playing a team that we, we don't even know if the Rams are a good team or a bad team. Uh, even though they're three and one and whatever, I, we still have no idea who the Rams are. But they need to go out and win. They need to go out and show that they can beat. Even if the Rams are a good team, the Seahawks have to show they can beat a good team, especially a good team on the road. They haven't done that. They haven't. And until and until they show me, Keith, I, they're still a fifty-fifty on this game. Yeah. You know, and if they show me, if they come out and beat this team, if they come out and beat this team handily, that will then show me that this is. This is now for real, and we've kind of turned the corner. Well, Bill, what if they don't? What if they win but not handily? What if they win? You know, then I've still got question marks, Keith. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. If 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 the Seahawks allow 21 points against the Rams, I'll be I'll, I'm going to be questioning that defense. And if if we do score 24 points, 23 points on the road, I'll hand it to our offense. You know, that's a good score on the, on the road. But 
Um, it shouldn't be that close if we're a good team, if we're a great team, if we're a Super Bowl team. Now you're getting into the second quarter of the season, fourth, fifth game. You got uh, the buys coming up soon. Um, we're really going to have to start winning games, Keith. We just can't go. We can't keep doing this 50 50 thing. We can't keep winning one, lose one, win one, lose one. Yeah, that's not the way. That's up, not the way it works, eight, right? When you end up eight and eight, that's not going to cut. Exactly. It. So right. So if we lose this game, we're that team. I mean, that's what it is for me. Now, I'm not going to jump the season completely, jump the shark, and say we're an eight and eight team if we lose this game. But <laughs> what else can you say? I mean, that's well. That would be who what, we are. What was the record? Uh, for the Seahawks after six games in 2014. Three and three. They were three and three. And um, they were still the number one overall seed in the NFC. Home field advantage made the Super Bowl and were one yard away or two yards away from winning the Super Bowl at the end of the game. So the what happens early in a season doesn't, it doesn't dictate who you are. It may, can make your life really hard because if you look at what happened, um, you know, in uh, 2015, especially where the team got off to that slow start, like really slow start, and then came on. But because they got off to such a slow start, they had to go play on the road in the playoffs and that bit them. Uh, so you, it can't affect it, but it doesn't tell you as much about who you are uh, for this early in the year, especially when you've got a young, improving, at least we think improving, offensive line like Seattle has, if that offensive line continues to make weekly progress, just little incremental strides each week, they'll they'll reach a threshold point where they're good enough that this offense will be unstoppable. What if, what if Chris Carson was the only reason we gained yards in the running game. Uh, then Russell Wilson's going to have to sh- shoulder the load and throw for 350 yards a game. What else? What What other choice do we have? But, I, you know, I don't, I'm hoping, I'm, I mean, Thomas Rawls, but the, in the carries that we saw in the preseason, the carries that we saw so far this year, Thomas Rawls hasn't shown. Mm-hmm. In the carries that we've seen from Eddie Lacy in the preseason, the carries up until... The Colts game up until the haven't fourth shown. quarter of the Colts right game. hasn't shown very much. Now, granted, by that time we had worn them out and they'd given up. Yeah, when he got his yards, the McKissick he showed that's awesome. But well, he showed he he's kind of up. a pro size guy. He showed he could he's, run on the outside when they tried to run right. McKissick up the middle. Yes, it was exactly lost. So. They're they're you know uh, Rawls, Lacey, Carson, different backs than McKissick. Pro size yeah. now pro size looks like he might be able to run, but he can't stay healthy. Mm-hmm. So you can't afford to run pro size up through the gut. So you can't. At what point do you bring Mike Davis up off the practice squad? Well, I and I said that earlier, you know, in my. In my notes, I think I've got him in my notes here, maybe Twitter at some point. I mentioned Mike Davis. That's right, Keith. Mike Davis is another option that we've got sitting out there in the practice squad that I think that uh, it looks like they're not going to bring him up this week. But if if, uh, stuff goes haywire for the Seahawks in the run game this week, you could see Mike Davis the following week or somebody that's not on the roster currently. 
well, if it's not someone someone who's not on the roster, I think it'll be Mike Davis just because of how. Well, what I'm saying is somebody re- outside the organization. True, but Mike Davis looked so good in the preseason and in training camp. I mean, he looked like a guy who belonged. And I was really surprised that he made it through to the practice squad and didn't end up getting picked up because he's a good player. Um, yes. And the fact that he's there waiting is tremendous. Um, and so they have him. He's there. He's available. And if Thomas Rawls is not going to be top, the Thomas Rawls we saw as a rookie, if those if those days are behind him for whatever reason, and let's not speculate, but uh, then the team has to make a change. And they've got to bring up someone who can be productive. Chris Carson was that guy, but now he's hurt. Is Mike Davis well, that guy? Quickly, before we wrap up, uh, Thomas Rawls and Chris Carson have similar injuries. True. In, in respect to that, what was it, a year and a half ago or, or whatever? Almost two years <clears throat> ago, yeah. Um, um, what, what Does that bode well for Chris Carson? Uh or are they just completely separate people, separate injuries, separate circumstances? It's, they shouldn't be judged the same. It's the same on the injuries are the same on paper, but that doesn't mean that the damage done is the same. It doesn't mean that uh, the outcome of the surgery is the same. It, it plus Carson doesn't have like the broken bone dislocation issue that that Rawls had. So there, there's just a, a, it's just a different injury. Yes, there is uh, the soft tissues in the. Um, in the ankle that required surgery and all of that. But I think Rawls's was significantly more severe. I mean, it took, it was, it was almost a year before he got back on the field where they're talking right about, before they're, he was right. Yeah. And even then, like you, you can make a case that he's still not right. Um, right. Whereas with, exactly. with Carson, they're talking about eight weeks, maybe 10 and he can be back on the field. Yeah. But initially, initially Keith, the, the prognosis for uh, Rawls was the same. Yeah, and t- until we learned more about just how severe the, the injury was. so That's true. Well, Keith, you know what? I I feel like I can, can keep talking for like four more hours. Yeah, but... I, think that would make for a, I think that would make for a really long podcast for the people who are trying to I think so. This. Yeah, and that's why I think we just, we need to wrap up. Um, great, great show though. I, I enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, it was great talking about the Colts cause that was a great win. Best win of the season so far. It's just a feel good win when you go in and just wipe somebody out. I don't care regardless of the quality of the opponent. When you take care of business like that and you, and you put up those kind of stats, um, fun win. Uh, we move on to the Rams. It's going to be a tougher challenge. I see this game kind of like the Titans game. A team that on paper it looks like we should win. We've got superior talent across the board, uh, save for the offensive line. I think we could mitigate that, though, and we should take care of business and go down there and and win. Um, It's a new regime down there. There's no reason to think that any of that kind of carries over, for example, to uh, this year. Uh, You kind of wipe the slate clean. And I'm I'm still looking at a squeaker, though. I'm looking like 17 to 10. Wow. So you're and I, to and I, real yeah, I'm thinking it was going to be a lower than I want it to be. Yeah. Um, but I, I still see it as a win. And I, I, I think the, the Seahawks finally are in mid season mode and they've, they've got kind of that will to go out and get something tough done. And so I'm giving it to them and we'll see. I, if it turns out the other way, 
it wouldn't surprise me completely, but I would be disappointed. So, um, so again, I, Keith and I thank you guys for listening and uh, joining into the conversation. And we would like your comments. So if you could leave comments on the uh, after you read the show notes on the webpage, there's a comment area that you could leave comments. Ask us some questions on Twitter. That would be outstanding. Um, you can find Keith at Myers NFL. Uh, I am at NWC Hawk. Um, the show page is Hawks Playbook at Hawks Playbook. You can subscribe at iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, or any other app choice that you have. And uh, that way you can get the information as it's published. So that'd be great. So anything else, Keith? Um, no, I think we're, I think we're good. I think this is like, come on guys. Come on, Seahawks. Go, go get, go get us a road win. Let us get us feeling good about this year. A road win uh, at this point against the team leading the division will help a lot. I agree. Yeah. In division. So this is a very important game. So let's not dismiss this game. In division, in conference, on the road, it's kind of a statement game. I mean, it's an early opportunity for the Seahawks to really kind of say, you know what, we're for real this year. Yep. Go, so, let's go get a win, everyone. Go Hawks. Go so Hawks. thanks thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, Hawks fans. Thanks for listening to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio and listen to all of our shows on hawksplaybook.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hawks Playbook. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL. 